Acts chapter 9. Hopefully you have a Bible, be it on your phone or in your lap. Uh, I'm still kind of old school. I do have a Bible on my phone, though. But I like uh, being able to touch and handle and mark and all of those good things uh, in this right here. So Acts chapter 9. We'll get there in a few moments. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but a couple of weeks ago as we entered Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, we noted that there was a call to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we said your body there, really deep here, means your body. And then on top of that, we found that the body also represents something that is more than just the physical body, it's the whole person. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if those of you that were here or have listened to that on the website after the fact, if any of you in your mind when you heard Romans 12:1 present your body, which means this, present it to God, offer it like not slavery, but willingly, voluntarily, Offering it, watch this, according to Romans 6, a one-time thing. And then Romans 6 also, because it ties together with Romans 12, present each part of your body as a living sacrifice, holy, talked about that last week in verse 2, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That's our reasonable service. It's our spiritual worship. Worshiping God through acts, uh, physical acts of using our body in service to God counts as worship. So my, here's my question. Don't answer out loud. If you were here or heard that later, and in that moment you honestly presented your body to Christ. Some of you were here that day. I had, a, I had multiple people tell me afterward that that spoke to them, and I hope they went further and said, I actually did that in the service. Or I had done that previously, but man, I rededicated, I re-upped, I've, I've given the Lord my body. But maybe over the last two weeks, you've kind of been asking this. Okay, I did that, now what? What does it look like? I did it. I don't know what to do. Well, I hope over the next couple of weeks, you'll begin to see what that would look like coming out in the life. Today is a very practical kind of message. We've been in all this theology for 11 chapters, and then we hit chapter 12, and it's very, very practical. We, haven't, we didn't do a lot of preaching in those 11 chapters, and now we get into chapter 12 and following in the book of Romans, and we're going to see more application, more action steps to happen. Now, before we read Acts, one other thing to note, last week's message. By the way, we're not always going to go like one verse at a time. Well, I promise you we won't do that. I don't know what, how we'll go each week, but it will not average a verse a week. We'll go faster than that. Verse 2. Here's what we found. There is a powerful combination that has tremendous results, and here's the combination. It's like three things. A Christian, is that you? With the Holy Spirit, that's a little redundant, but a true Christian has the Holy Spirit in them, when they on a regular and repeated and consistent basis spend time in front of the Word of God, hearing it, studying it, reading it, that powerful combination results in what verse 2 of chapter 12 says is a transformation. Literally, we become more and more what we really are and less and less like the world and the culture that we live around. It doesn't happen like that. It is a process, again, consistent, repeated, again and again, spending time in the Word of God, letting the Holy Spirit teach us its truths and apply its truths. You say, what would that look like? Well, I kind of finished last week and a little flurry of what that would look like. And we said, it is not just being different than the people you work with that are not saved, not just being different than the people in your neighborhood or the people in your extended family that are not saved, but being attractively different, not freakishly weird, just different, where they notice, man, they're just not like us. I don't understand them, but there's something they have, and it really should draw them not repel them. And we finish with a flurry. What would this attractively different kind of life, transform life, look like? I cannot reapply all these just by way of introduction. We said it would look different these ways in how we Christians spend our resources. So you're working beside somebody you know good and well. He makes the same amount of money you do, 
but you spend yours different than they do. Why? Because every part of your being has been transformed by this process of repeated. Again, not a time or two. I read my Bible. I hope that fixes it. No. Repeated. And this goes for years and years. The more you're, you're in this process of the Christian life with the Holy Spirit, learning of the Father and the Son, what happens? You become more, you start thinking like God thinks, which is very different than this age. All of a sudden, you're actually, here's a big one, feeling different. Not just thinking different, you're feeling different than those who are around you, which results in you acting different in how you spend your resources, how you spend your time. We have the same amount of time, but we're in different phases of life. Some of you have young children. Some of your kids are out of the house. Some of you have no children. Some of you are students. So how do you spend your time? You say, I spend my time just like everyone else in the world that's in my phase of life. Okay, something's wrong. You need transformed. We saw it affects us in how we view our marriages. We should be attractively different. You're like, what does that mean? Fire breaks out in the marriage. The culture, you know what they do. We got a fire. It's getting hot in here. It's getting really smoky in here. You go that way and I'm going this way. That's the answer. But a Christian says, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. We made vows till death do us part. Man, it's getting really hot in here and it's kind of smoky. We need to work on putting this fire out. That is different. Not only in how we view marriage and our marriages, but also in how we view our employer. Instead of seeing him as someone who's just there for us or her as just someone who's supposed to provide for us, all of a sudden, we, as a Christian, we're like, I want to help them be successful. I want to help the company. And as an employer looking, a Christian employer looking at his employees, it's, they're not just using them. I want to be a blessing to them as much as I possibly can. I want to help them in life. Whole different attitude than the culture that's around us. Comes out not only in those types of, of avenues, but our attitude toward the opposite sex. We don't view ladies as objects uh, to conquer or to fantasize about. Why? That's my sister in Christ. You don't even think that way. That's your brother in Christ. You say, well, what if they're not a Christian? Then you know they have a soul, and you just don't let yourself go there because you're, you're not conformed to the world. You're transformed by a whole new way of thinking that affects every part of your life. We go through trials. But a Christian perseveres through trials. When trials come, if we've been laying this foundation... We may have a brief season where we're cast down, but we don't stay down. We end up living differently than everyone around us who's going through the same things. There should be a difference in how we identify ourselves. The world identifies itself by what they do. This is my job. That's who I am. A Christian says, no, that's how I pay the bills. This is who I am. I am what Christ says I am, what the Word of God says I am. That does not define me completely. God defines me. And we even said when death hits, that's where we close. Death is coming to all of us. How do we as Christians respond? You say, it really hurts. Absolutely. It causes us grief. Yes, but we do not grieve as those with no hope because if you're in this process repeatedly, continuously, consistently, you, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, I'm telling you, you give it time, it will change you. It will change you. And when death comes, we just handle it a whole different way. God allows us to do that. I hope that as we look in a little bit in the next couple of weeks at verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12 that we will let these verses transform our thinking so that we have a whole new attitude toward life. An attitude that says, Lord, you've explained it to me. I'm going to live a life of service and not just serving myself. The culture says, what can you do for me? The Christian transformed mind says, God, how can you use me to serve people? I hope you see that each week thought of some ways you should see it here at grace for you each week you probably do not enumerate these in your mind in fact you walk in and you think well that was neat how that coincidentally just happened to come together and God spoke with people that was so neat how it was conducive for God to speak directly to people and it kind of happens regularly around there that is so neat how we keep getting lucky like that can I tell you something that is people God's doing it, God's speaking. I want to be clear. God's doing it, God's doing the talking, God's doing the work. But he uses people, and if you look around, there are people who have given their body and literally are serving, and God is using that. I, I punched out just a few. Prayer warriors. Unknown, unnamed, I don't know who they are. 
I, I, I have a strong feeling you're sitting here, or maybe you couldn't even be here today, but this past week, well before the service, they've already been petitioning God, Lord, meet with us, meet with them. That matters, very important. Another one is this. Someone has decided, I will be a friendly face, I'll be a friendly voice at the door, in here before the service, when the service is over, God use me, let me be that person. Just kind of setting the tone because I want you to use me so that you'll be able to speak. And well, maybe even you're going to speak to them through me. These things matter. A bulletin is put in your hand. It does not just miraculously fall out of the computer. It matters. Those announcements, you need to look at those. Those screens, you need to look at those. They matter. These are things where people have given their time and donated that coffee in the coffee house you're like does that really matter yes and if you get here at nine o'clock they actually have snacks too just throwing that out if you get here later than nine thirty, the snacks are gone okay probably somebody does that somebody sacrifices their time and maybe even their money if they bring some of those snacks teachers this is important teachers come prepared with lessons and discussions already thought through not just winging it what's happening there a foundation's being laid for God to speak to people. Uh, you know this is important. Nursery workers, we're able to have, listen. Yes. You didn't hear anything. That's important. Somebody is serving us down there. They did it during life group time and they're doing it right now. It mad, they're forgotten. Rarely are they thanked. I hope that's a lie, what I just said. We need to thank them. Some of you are them, children's workers. Do you know that when you come in here, thought has been put into sound and lighting. And when these guys are singing, there's a lot of moving parts up here. And you typically only notice it like a bad referee, right? When they make a mistake. But when it's going smooth, you don't even think about it. Lighting and sound. And these people don't just hop up here and just start singing. They've put their time into it, being, be it... Chris as the worship leader or these vocalists or these musicians all of this is setting the stage for God to speak to you are you involved in that process and we're going to read Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 in a moment before we do would you write these things down the New Testament gives us several analogies for Christians this is not an exhaustive list we could have put us as a temple for God it's not on this list but these are several analogies we're seen as sheep of God Christ is the chief shepherd. We're literally the sheep of God. We're his flock. Another one is the Bible refers to us as Christians as the bride of Christ. We're literally married to Jesus as our husband. He's a loving husband. He's a leading husband. He loves us with a sacrificial love. He loves us with a sanctifying love. He loves us by leading us and by providing and by protecting all of these things. That's what husbands do. That's what Christ does for us. We're, this is a big one, maybe the biggest one and that Paul uses. We're seen as the children of God. The children of God, not by nature. We know that Jesus is the only son of God by nature. But literally, we're adopted into the family of God. But I believe when you see Acts chapter 9, you're going to find our author of Romans by a different name. This is his Hebrew name, Saul. His Roman name would be Paul, Saul Paulus. But we're going to go back before he was a Christian. Man, this guy hated Christians. Would you look at verses 1 through 5? And as we do, I want to say that you should see, not explicitly, but indirectly, underlying, subtly, a reference or an avenue where Jesus is going to reveal to Saul, Paulus, what's going to become what I believe is one of his favorite analogies for us as the church. It's in the text, Acts chapter 9. Verse number one, but Saul, still breathing, threats and murder. I mean, it's his breath. This guy hates Christians. He hunts them down. Saul, still breathing, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. The Bible straight up calls it murder. He's going, he doesn't think it's murder. He's trying to murder Christians. So much so that the Bible says in verse one, he went to the high priest He's basically run Christians, at, he's headed the effort to persecute, kill Christians in Jerusalem. They fled to other areas. He hears there's a group of Christians up in Damascus, 125, 150 miles away. So he goes to the high priest asking for letters. The idea is letters of authority. I want to go to the synagogues at Damascus. And he gets his authority. 
so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way of Christ, the way to heaven through Christ, called the way, what's he going to do? Whether it be men or women, doesn't matter. Hey, those are women. I don't care. We're going to hunt them down and we're going to kill them. Why? He says, so that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I need authority. I'm on my way. There he goes. Verse 3. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So he's very close, well over 100 miles. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. Later on in the book of Acts, Paul says that light was brighter than the noonday sun. So don't just think, okay, there's a little light over there. Brighter than the noonday sun. We know that it blinds him. We'll not read that far. And the Bible says, and falling to the ground. So this light hits. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him. So the people that are with him hear something. But this voice is specifically talking to him. And here's what it says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Lord, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I just said we're the sheep of God, we're the bride of Christ, we are the children of God. So what is this other analogy? We are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. You say, I didn't see the phrase body of Christ anywhere in that text. Listen to it again. He falls to the ground, he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's probably thinking, it doesn't say this, but he's probably thinking, who are you? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Saul, it doesn't say, but he may be thinking, number one, you're Jesus, you're alive, you're talking to me. Number two, how am I persecuting you? And later on, he will be taught by Christ specifically that the church is the body of Christ. Quick lesson before we go to Romans. Don't miss it. When we get saved, we are not only close to God and close to Christ, we are actually connected. We do not become God, but we are so connected to God and to each other that when you persecute a Christian or you persecute the the church, Jesus as the head will rebuke you. That's my body. You're doing that against me. No, no, I'm doing that against these people. To do it against them is to do it against me. Now, that should be a fearful thing. That should be a warning. Do not mistreat God's people now here's the the good side of that if you bless God's people if you serve God's people the Bible teaches that God receives that as done to him they are my body Christ is the head just before we look at Romans go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 We'll not give all the background of this text. We'll just jump into the verses that are needed for this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. It's talking about how Jesus, after his resurrection, gives the church, his body, specific gifts. Because we're heading talking about gifts today. So verse 11, what kind of gifts does Jesus give his church? And he gave the apostles. There's one of the gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. We're all to be sharing our faith and calling people to Christ. Some people are just gifted in appealing to people as the voice of God. And people respond. They're just really gifted at that. Christ gave the evangelists. And then we have this other. The shepherds and teachers. The idea there, pastors who shepherd and pastors who teach. And some pastors are stronger in shepherding, and some pastors are stronger in teaching. But he gives the church these offices, these people with these gifts. Verse 12 says why. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I'm going to read the others in just a moment. This is important, what I'm about to say. For hundreds of years, there's been a debate about a comma. If you've been in our new members class, I've probably taught this before, so this is a repeat. For hundreds of years, there's a debate, should there or should there not be a comma in this text? You say, where would the comma be? Is it in the text? It is not in the ESV text, and I'm glad it's not because it totally alters the meaning if it's in place. Look at verse 12. So he gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip 
the saints. That's where some people place the comma. If you put that there, here's how it reads. If it were there, God gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Why? Here's how it would read. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see that? That's what it would read. It would be a list, a to-do list, and what we would want, want to be tempted to do is create this group of people. Let's call them the clergy, right? They're the clergy. Well, what about the other people? They're the laity. What's their job? Come to church, sit, and receive from the professionals who are the clergy, the ministers. Well, we need to learn what the word minister really means. They just serve. They're not that big shots. They're not professionals. But if you put the comma there, here's the thought. Yeah, we pay those people. Their job is to equip the saints. They're supposed to do the work of the ministry. And the third thing there in verse number 12. And they're supposed to build up the body of Christ. But if you remove the comma and read it correctly, let's read it again. Why does he give these people? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, of the body of Christ. Who now does the work of ministry? God gives these people, puts them in these offices so that they actually build up, equip the saints so that the saints actually do the work of the ministry. And the result is the whole body of Christ builds itself up. In fact, they're gifted to build each other up. You're like, ah, I kind of like the first one better because I just get to come sit and soak. And you guys have to do, you and Brandon and Chris and all them, y'all have to do all the work. I kind of like that version. Well, that's just not the Bible version. What would it look like? Well, verse 13. Build up the body of Christ. Who does that? The saints. The body builds itself up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, everybody becoming mature in Christ, growing up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, so what would this mature Christianity look like? What if we were all mature? So that we may no longer be children, spiritual children. What does spiritual children look like? You know, tossed to and fro by the waves. The waves of life hit, knocked down. The waves are too big. What if we all grew up, got strong, because we're not looking to someone else to do the work. We're actually working ourselves, building, building ourselves up. And all of a sudden, we have a lot of mature people. Again, what would that look like? We would not be tossed to and fro by the waves or carried about by every wind of doctrine. Average person sitting in grace view knows that is not right what that person said. Or that's, is that line in that song? Does that, does that, I noticed that too. I had a question about that. Like, what if everybody, like, I heard this song on the radio and I really like, like, 95% of it. There's this one line. Great. You're growing up in the Lord. You're getting strong. You're getting mature. You're putting your roots down. It continues, so that we're not carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful thing, schemes. Rather, who's doing this? The whole body, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom? From Christ. The whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, uh, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in the Lord. Would you join me in Romans 12? Romans 12. I want to talk about a gifted body today. Romans 12. Most of our scripture reading is at the beginning of the message and then there's a flurry at the end. The part at the end has very minimal commentary in it it's just as a reference but here's our text for the next two weeks today and next week back up to verse one I appeal to you therefore brothers which means brothers and sisters hear this that's from God please hear it I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God and meaning because of the mercies of God that we've seen for 11 chapters what are you appealing to us to do Paul to present, again, once and for all, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'll die for the Lord, but will you live for the Lord? Will you really? Thy will be done, will it? Will you mean that? 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, reasonable service. Why is it? Re- it's wise because you're going back to God. You're eventually going to go back to God to give an account of this life. What did you do with it? You say, well, I went and I heard him and I dropped something in the plate. Is that all you did? You'll regret that. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. Renewal of the mind. That by testing, evaluating, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's our text. Now Paul says, for by the grace, somebody give me another word for grace. It's okay to say it out loud. A, God's grace is a what? Gift. Paul says, for by the grace, the gift given to me, Paul's getting ready to tell us something. All of us, if you're a Christian, he's not just being arrogant. He's saying, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. God appointed me as an apostle. God made me do this. It's God's calling. It wasn't my idea. I actually want to do something else. God called me to this. With that comes authority. So I'm telling you, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned and here's his analogy this is why we read Acts this is why we read Ephesians for as in one body let's say your body sitting there right now your body Paul says as in one body we have many members we have several people in the medical field I I, I kind of thought we won't do this it would take too long what if we had like Several chairs up here, and they played that little game. You got to name a body part, and you got to name one, and you just keep going around and around until somebody can't think of another body part that hasn't been said. They would go through literally four or five hundred body parts. And eventually they find like, I can't, uh, this one. Nah, that's already been said. You just put out the Latin name for something that's already been said. Eh, you're out. Okay. And they just keep going through many, many things. Verse 4. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Paul says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, that's you, individually, members one of another. You're not only connected to Christ, you're connected to each other because you're connected to Christ. If you're a true Christian, verse 6 is key. Having gifts that differ according to the grace gift given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, so he's going to go over a list of gifts, seven of them. If prophecy, my words here, is the gift you've been given, then the words before it, let us use them. If prophecy, use it in proportion to our faith. There's an implied repetition. If service, you say, that's my gift. Let us use them, back in verse 6. If it's service, in our serving. The one who teaches, you say, that's my gift. Then use your gift of teaching in your teaching. You see the repetition. The one who exhorts, I know someone, they're really good at that. In his exhortation. The one who contributes, meaning literally just gives. The the gift is giving. In generosity. The one who leads, organizes, mobilizes. They're just really, really good at it. Do it with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy. Man, they feel, they can see it, they can spot it. There's a need. They are on it. They do acts of mercy. Do it with cheerfulness. Next week we'll see why that's important. There's three admonitions I want us to see. We'll only do two today and one next week. Uh, This outline is not original because everybody uses the same outline because it's so obvious from the text. If you read this 20 times, you'd say, wow, uh, he wants this and he wants this and it all flows to this. So two of those today. Maybe it was William Barclay who affected my wording here the most. Uh, write this down. Number one, what's the admonition? Be aware of your gifts. Be aware of your gifts. And there's a key thought here of humility. So grace for you. I want to preach to you for the next few minutes. You'll see we'll have three subpoints under this idea. Be aware of your gifts with an underlying attitude of humility. Be aware of your gifts. 
Barclay says, Paul is urging us to know ourselves. Do you know yourself in relation to this? I will tell you how you will know yourself. Look at verse 3. Look at it with your eyes. Verse 3 has one main imperative. Can you see it? There's one main verb that we're told to do. Let me read the verse. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What is the imperative verb? What is it? One word? What are we told to do? Starts with the letter. I'll give you a hint. Starts with the letter T. Think, 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 think. So, you want to write this down. How am I going to obey what Paul calls for and what, the Holy, what, what God calls for in his word in verse number three? You're going to have to think. You've got to think. You have to think with honest judgment. You have to think with sound judgment, sober judgment, unclouded judgment. Have you ever thought about this? You must think about it. Why? Because a lot of people, and I, again, I think I'm safe in saying this, I have no one in mind, honestly. Praise the Lord, I, I didn't spend time thinking about it. No one comes to mind in our church. And I love this. I kind of think in our church, if anything, we're more on the other side of wrong thinking than this one. But who knows? God knows our hearts. But this is one that Paul seems to single out. Here's wrong thinking. Here it comes. Arrogance over your spiritual gifts or your abilities as compared with other folks. Maybe Paul has the Corinthian church in mind. They were very arrogant because some of them had these gifts and they were very showy, very public, and and very impressive, and they kind of thought of themselves as above everybody else, and it put the others down in this lower category. We're just not as good as them. Just ask them, and they'll tell you we're not as good as them. And Paul's like, don't think that way. Don't be arrogant. Here's another group. Some overvalue their place. Listen. Some undervalue their role. And they think they're of no use in the body of Christ. Some are arrogant. Others are ignorant. Please don't think I'm name-calling or being mean. Ignorant just means uninformed. One group, arrogant over their abilities. The other group, ignorant of their abilities, almost with this attitude, well, I don't really have anything to offer you say Jeff which one of those is worse I really don't know both extremes are wrong thinking one robs God by trying to take the glory away from God and taking glory to themselves as though they're responsible for their supposed gift but the other one over here they deny God and they they act like God's lying for what he says in verse 3 and verse 6 look at verse 3 and verse 6 quickly you say, I just don't know that I really have. I'm just not that important. That one and that one and that one. Y'all are important. I'm just not that, very, that important. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, everyone. Look at verse 6. Having gifts. Having gifts. The person that feels like they have no place says, I don't believe everyone and I don't believe that we all have gifts. Would you write three things down under this first point? Do not discount your gift. Please don't discount your gift. Somebody, you need to hear this. Do not discount your gift. Would you look again at verse 6, 7, and 8? We're not going to have them back on the screen. Would you just glance through there? There are seven spiritual gifts that are listed. Which one sitting there right now do you think is yours? So engage your mind. We're told to think in verse number 3. I'm asking you to do it. Verse 6, if it's prophecy. Verse 7, if it's serving. If it's teaching, if it's exhorting, if it's contributing or giving, if it's leading, administrating, mobilizing, organizing, or if it's acts of mercy, seven things sitting there right now. Even if we find out later that really wasn't mine, but I kind of think that's mine. Or maybe some of you are sitting there, I absolutely, I, I know this is my gift. Praise the Lord. Don't discount your gift. Having read it, which one of those do you feel like might be your gift? If someone's sitting here going, yeah, I don't have any of those. Then either you're not a Christian or you're ignorant of the text and basically calling God a liar. Can we have 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7? Short verse, watch this. Look at it, look at it. In a passage, in a chapter on spiritual gifts, watch what the verse says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit so this visible outpouring of the Spirit. Who's who's that given to? Each. 
for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you're here and you're wanting to deny and discount your spiritual gift, but you really are a Christian, then you need to acknowledge 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It tells us who, what, and why. To each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To put it plainly, you say, Jeff, I know I'm a Christian. Then I would say, you have been given something that's supposed to be helping everybody. You've been given something that's supposed to be helping everybody. Is your gift helping everybody? Or you're saying, I'm not really using mine. You've been given one. You say, Jeff, you've done all this talking and you still have yet to explain what in the world is a spiritual gift. So I'm going to give you a, a concocted, I hope it's not wrong. I, I'll change this a dozen times in the next few years, but this was one that works for today, right? I'm going to offer this as, an, as a definition. What's a spiritual gift? Spiritual gifts are specific spiritual enablements. Christian, you should care about this definition. You've been given this. Specific spiritual enablements by which, watch this, God's graces, His gifts, things He doesn't have to do, His graces flow down into you and through you to other people. If you look at the list again, Prophecy, God pours down graces, information, things, knowledge, wisdom, things that need to be told, and then it's supposed to go out from you. If it's teaching, it's a little different version of the same type of thing. If it's serving, God's poured down blessings, abilities into you. You have them, and it's supposed to be going to other people as you serve other people. If it's giving or if it's leading, you have an ability. Or if it's acts of mercy, whatever it may be, exhorting. Please understand, to finish that definition... If you're a Christian, you possess one of these. They are more than natural abilities. Can I just put it this way? If you're sitting here and say, yeah, my spiritual gift is my singing. My spiritual gift is my ability to play an instrument. That may be an expression of it, but that's not it. That's not in the list. There's seven that are given in our list. You need to find out what is yours. You've been given a spiritual enablement of God's grace pouring down into you that's supposed to flow through you out to other people. And it's enacted by faith. So it's not just a natural ability. Boy, that guy over there, he's generous. That lady over there, she's just kind of fun, and when she's around, everybody just feels better. Okay, the world can do that. There's that lady at work, right? And there's that friendly person in the neighborhood. And they're not even saved. This is not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gift may flow from that, but it's in, spiritual, it's in the spiritual realm, an enablement that's enacted by faith. God, I believe you have given me this one, and I'm going to disperse it and use it by relying upon you. Lord, you're going to have to do it, but I'm going to do this through your ability. Number two, so don't discount your gift. Number two, already applied it. Do not be proud of your gift. Do not be proud of your gift. So look at number three, verse three, okay? Very quickly, verse three. There are two parts in these six verses. So we're doing about half the message today. In these verses, there are two main parts that as I read some commentaries, I noticed that these are the ones that they would mainly like need clarification. And the others are just pretty simple. We just have to learn what it says and implement it. But two parts are a little tricky. The first and probably the most tricky one is found in verse three. A lot of people just skip it. You say, Jeff, what is it? Watch. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is important. Really focus here. But to think with sober judgment each, here's the hard phrase, according, so everybody's supposed to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Christian, engage right here. What does that mean? We're supposed to think, not that way, but with sober judgment, unclouded judgment, each thinking according to the measure of faith God has assigned. And you know what? We do that. We wrestle with that. And it's apparently hard to translate, but it's been translated by multiple translations basically the same way. And so here's what I find. People wrestle with the Scripture wrestle with it and so we got to ask ourselves what if we didn't wrestle with the scripture and we just let it say what it says 
You say, then what would it say? You would see there's a measure. You say, what's that mean? Watch. Okay. One, two, three. This person. One, two. This person. 14, 15, 16. Think with sound judgment according to the measure of faith. That's what's being measured out. Faith. According to the measure of faith. God, who's measuring? God has assigned. So I'm going to make a quick conclusion here. This all goes under the do not be proud. Here's the conclusion of this. Can we agree some people have more faith than others? Why? Because God measured out that they will have more faith. Can we agree some have less faith than others? Just shooting straight. Can we agree that some have no faith? How, they have no faith. Right, that's where we're all born. They have some faith. They have a lot of faith. Where's that come from? God measures it out and assigns it to each. And that's how we're supposed to think. You say, Jeff, what does this have to do with anything? Guys, if the most important thing you have ever done in your life is put your faith and trust in Christ and the promises of God, you didn't even drum up the faith, then how can you be proud about anything you have? The faith you have wasn't, wasn't even yours. It was given to you. It was measured out and assigned to you. And you have good days and bad days, right? You have good years and had that low point, but by the end of the year, God used all those things and coupled it with the Word of God and just consistently spending time in the Word of God. And your faith is on a high right now. God is giving you that. So here's the point. How can we be proud about our spiritual gifts or anything when even the very thing that helped us to get saved came from God? See, Brother Larry, he and I used to teach Christian school together. And it's right around this time of the year, we would get our achievement test results back. So the kids, before spring break, they take achievement tests, go to spring break. Maybe really more realistically, at the beginning of May, homeroom teachers were given these stacks, has the kids' names on it, and it has the results. They took an English test and a spelling test and a history test and a reading test, and they took a science test and math and all these different things. And they took a kind of like a school learning ability test which just has random questions that you could not study for so they take all these things they send them off to california they grade them through the computer send them back and this kid was asked this many questions in this subject and this is how many they got right and based off of that particularly not only how many but which ones they got and which ones they missed there ends up these evaluations I always found it so funny and so predictable that as I would give those out, particularly to the ninth and 10th grade, if I had one of them as my homeroom, i give these sheets out at the end of the day because I wanted it to be last thing because I know what happens every time. Some kid finally figures out what the letters S-A-I kind of mean, school ability index, which is kind of like an IQ indicator. And it doesn't, once they figure that out, the chatter's on. Hey, what'd you get in the SAI? Oh, I got a 107. Ha, ha! I'm 113. Beat you. I'm smarter than you. And I'm telling you, every year it doesn't take long to figure out who has the highest. And then you have those that are quiet and they've kind of already tucked their sheet away. And they don't want anybody to know what their SAI was. And you know what I feel like saying to them? And I would. I'd say, guys, knock it off. You had nothing to do with that number. As given to you. In fact, they had another little column over there that would compare people with that level against other people all around the country that had that level. Don't compare the 156 IQ person with the 88 IQ person. Aha, I got more right on the test. You should. You're driving a Mercedes, right? They don't have that. The real indicator is this column over on the right side that would say low, middle, high. As you're compared with other people with your abilities, did you perform low? Are you kind of average? Are you like making the most? You have nothing to do with the SAI, the IQ. The question is, do you have a lot of highs over here? Do you have a lot of mediums? Hey, you back there, quit gloating. I know you got lows all on your car. But I got a big number. Who cares? You're blowing it. You're not doing anything with it. Stop gloating. Stop being proud. So Jeff, what does that have to do with this? 
Do not think more highly of yourself if you look a certain way. If you're smarter. Have more money or can make more money. Able to sing. Good speaker. Run real fast. You see that? I taught PE. I saw that all the time. Gloating. Because they can run faster, throw harder, throw more accurately, kick farther. Can work a room. Can close the sale. Man, they can close the sale. Okay, great. Or maybe you have a more visible spiritual gift. Paul says, get over yourself. Don't be proud. You had nothing to do with it. Number three, discover your gift. So don't discount it. Don't be proud about it. Discover your gift. What I'm about to say is really for those of you who've been here for the last couple of years since I've come, don't say it out loud. Look at those seven spiritual gifts, and I'm going to ask you a question that has to do with me. Don't say it out loud. Hear this list. Which one do you think is my spiritual gift? There's prophecy. There's serving. There's teaching. There's exhorting. There's giving, contributing. There's leading. And there's mercy. Don't say it out loud. Do you think... I think I know which one our preacher has as his main gift. My question is, how did I discover that my main gift, if you said teaching, then you're on to something, right? You're like, ah, the guy can't just read a text. He has to tell us everything about the pretext, the text, the 12 parts in the text, and what's following after. He just got to, all we want to know is what it says. He got to go into all this depth, bless his heart. Okay, I can't help it. God made me that way. That's what, it's, it's, it's kind of my main thing. You know what I find interesting? None of the passages that list the spiritual gifts, this is not the only one, none of them tell you how to discover what your spiritual gift is. We're on the first point here. Be aware of your gift. Be aware of yourself with humility. What is it? Discover. How? It doesn't say. I want to propose this to you. If this was a Wednesday night, we'd pause for five minutes. I'd have you read the six verses two or three times until you came up with the two main action verbs in the text. Two main action verbs. It was already said one. One is think. Here's the other one. Use. It's in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So, Jeff, how do you think we figure out what our spiritual gift is? I think the action verb of think and use tells how we discover our our spiritual gift. If you were here about a year ago, we borrowed Chip Ingram on several Wednesday nights, probably a couple of months, watched his video, worked our way through a book, and I don't have time to teach all that he taught. He had some interesting ideas I want to share four with you, and a couple of them I think are in your handout. So not word for word. You ready? Chip Ingram's take on the spiritual gift section. Here's the first thing he's going to offer to us, and I think there's a lot to this. Here it is. He believes that each believer has a primary spiritual gift listed in Romans 12. In other words, this is the basic list is in Romans 12. Each believer has a primary spiritual gift in Romans 12. Second thing he offers is that each believer has a cluster of ministry gifts. So you have these basic primary gifts. We each have one of those as our primary gift. But then in some of the other lists in Scripture, particularly maybe Corinthians that we will see we have these ministries so these primary gifts can come out in these other activities and he says you can have a cluster of those ministry gifts but the third this is key please hear this he offers that a Christian is most fulfilled and most fruitful when they spend the majority of their time and energy in the field of using their primary spiritual gift. I, that really rung true to me. So if we all, if he, as he's proposing, here's Romans 7, you, have, you say, well, I got some of that and some of that and some of that. True. But if one of them is more than the other, you're like, that, I could see that's my primary thing, you will be most fulfilled and most fruitful when you spend most of your time and energy in that vein of service. And then the, by the way, not exclusively, not saying this, that's my gift, I don't do anything outside of it. That's why I'm not doing nursery, sorry Brandon, I'm not doing nursery, I'm not doing that or that. Somebody else has to do that because I only do this. 
wrong. Don't think that way. So it's not exclusive, but it'll be most fulfilling and most fruitful. And then the fourth thing he offers is that the way to find out what your spiritual gift is is to get busy. Say, busy what? Just get busy serving the body at Graceview and away from Graceview. This message is not about having a function and a title and a to-do job at Graceview. It's way bigger. The body of Christ is out there too. So it's here, yes, but it's out there too. Figure out what is your spiritual gift. And how how do I figure it out? Just start serving in various ways. And along the way, you'll find out, of all the things I'm doing, this one is like, it's kind of scary. It's challenging. It's a lot of work. But man, that one just kind of fulfills me. I just kind of feel like I was made to do that. I'm willing to do these. But man, I, I, that, and not bragging, but people kind of tell me that when I'm in that, they're blessed by it. It's strange. Yeah, that's your primary gift. That's where you're going to be most fruitful, most fulfilled. Fat MacArthur writes the following. He says, spiritual gifts, quote, cannot be recognized except as we use them. Along the way, as you're using your spiritual gift, maybe you tried out ten things, but one of them just became crystal clear. You say, Jeff, when did you kind of figure out the teaching thing? I don't remember. I let my uncle know that I felt called to preach when I was 12. It wasn't long. He put me in a pulpit standing in a chair because I was really short. Seriously. And he started doing it every month. And then I went to Bible college. And then Charlie Rice let me, like, teach a Sunday school. And next thing you know, he has me doing that and that. And then teach a bigger Sunday school. And then he says, you really need to go teach down at the Christian school, see if they have any openings in Bible class. And this kind of one thing led to another. And all of a sudden it became, like, pretty clear that I think that's what I'm supposed to be doing, main thing. What is yours? What is yours? Our second thought, last thought today is be accepting of your gifts. Not only be aware, but be accepting. And here's the key thought, unified diversity. Unified diversity is what we're going to kind of see the remainder of the time today and next week. Accept yourself. You say, accept me and all my sin. No, don't accept your sin. Accept yourself the way God made you. Now, I have one main person in mind when I am talking about this one. So earlier I said, I don't know that I really have anybody in mind. I got one main person in mind that I know has needed to hear this point. You know who it is? the guy that's talking right now. So I'm going to be transparent. I'm not going into a lot. I'll just shoot straight with you. I have been in my past very envious against how God made me and how he made other people. Very dissatisfied. You say, like in what? My personality. Lord, why'd you make me this way? Look at them. They just that and that and that and without trying and I'm just so awkward and introverted and what's wrong with me? I'm the world's slowest reader and you have me in something where I've got to read all the time and I'm horribly slow at reading. I kind of remember what I read but these people, I'm, I hear Mary Beth Shank reads a book a day. That's a month assignment for me. If I read a book a day, I would not sleep, I would not eat, I would not, literally nothing else would happen. What, what are you doing? And these, this list of seven, hey, and the pastor, it would be really good to have this. I don't have that at a high level. I mean, I'm trying to work and learn, but they got it. And you know what I finally realized, guys? I'm, just, I'm shooting straight with you, and some of you are the same way as I am. What's wrong with me? I finally realized God made me on purpose. His purpose. The gifts you have and the gifts I have come from God. He made that decision. William Barclay says you can practice. And we do need to train and improve. If we're going to do something, do it the best we can. But sometimes we can practice all we want. And somebody else, hardly without even practicing, they just can do it. Why? He says they have what's called, Greek word, charismata. They have a gift. But I'm practicing. (laughs) Practice, that's wonderful. They have a gift. And if they practice, it's going to be very evident. They really, thanks for playing, they really had it. And it's awesome to see. Well, I want theirs. And no, no, no. Be accepting of how God made you. He says they have the charismata, which is the special gift from God. Every Christian, including you, has their own charismata. Now, quickly. I hope you'll follow along. Just reading, not commenting. Go, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's see these lists. So we have a list of seven in Romans 12. Is that the only list of spiritual gifts? No, it's not. Romans tw- uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 
Look down at verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, here's another list. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. I believe this is a serious rank. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues, languages. Are all apostles? The implied answer is no, not everybody's an apostle. You guys are. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? No, no, not everybody has it. Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? No, no. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So we have this list. There's a list. I'm not going into that list. I could really get bogged down there. Let's, that list is going to be a little different than the next. It's different than Romans. This list was written first. Romans was written later. One day maybe we'll go back over that. Ephesians chapter 4, we read earlier. Look at verse 11. This was already, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. You say, this kind of sounds like 1 Corinthians, just a shorter version. Watch verse Peter, verse, chapter 4, verse 10. Watch this one. This is important. As each, meaning each believer, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he breaks it into two categories. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles or the words of God. Whoever serves, hands on, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We just saw the fourth. Did you catch that? Romans 12 lists them. 1 Corinthians 12 lists them. Ephesians 4 lists some. And in 1 Peter basically just says there's two main categories that he's going to look at. There's some that have speaking gifts. Some of you have serving gifts. This is important. Those with speaking gifts, you're not better than them. You need to be using your speaking gifts. That does not mean you don't ever have to serve, but you have a gift. Some of you, you have a gift at speaking. Those who serve, that doesn't mean, see, I don't have to share my faith. I never have to be evangelistic. I'm just hands-on only. I'm behind the scenes. No, no, no. We all speak. We all serve. You just have a gift in it. I'm not going to call Jerry by name. But I just, I fight being envious. As he's fluttering around, he's not even moving at a fast pace. 70, right? Are you 70? He don't move. He crawls in the attic and... He shows up, and when he leaves, stuff's done. Well, and it looks good. And, I, and he tries to tell me what he did. And he goes in this technological, and I just nod, and I'm like, sure. Man, build an airplane. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to track. He's just, I don't have that, man. I just don't have it. How do you do that with your hands? Woodwork and metal stuff and just technology and wiring is like he comes in and stuff gets done I'm not going to be envious I got none of that I got none of that but those of you who serve you're supposed to speak but you just got just got a gift over here those that speak it doesn't mean uh, I don't dirty my hands I'm too no 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 you can carry stuff you can do stuff you're just not as good as others that do it better one last scripture back to 1 Corinthians 12 would you look back there 1 Corinthians 12 So here's our thought. Be accepting of your gifts, the key thoughts, unified diversity. I'm going to read quickly from verses 12 to 27. I won't need to make a lot of comment. You'll see it. Here it comes. Receive this today. Grace be receive it. For just as the body, our physical body, is one and has many members, right? Parts. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That's a key verse, not for our topic now. Keep moving. In one spirit, were we all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist. So we're getting ready to have two paragraphs, four or five verses each, two different attitudes, two different, two different problems are being addressed. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot, the foot should say, eh, 
because I'm not a hand. I do not belong to the body. That does not make it less part of the body. You can say, well, I'm only this or that. doesn't change it. You're still part of the body. Yeah, but I'm not there. Okay, it doesn't matter. And if the ear, you're the ear. But if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye. Well, look, I'm not an eye. Look, there, they're the eye. If the ear should say, I'm not the eye. I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body, this is ridiculous. If the whole body were an eye. Hey, look, we're all an eye. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, but I really want to be an ear. I don't want to be a foot. Okay, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I don't want to be a nose. That's me. If you're listening on recording, this is not in the text. Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now here comes the opposite problem that needs to address the eye ha ha I'm the eye cannot say to the hand I have no need of you I mean we really don't need you no can't say that nor again the head to the feet I have no need of you on the contrary the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable we bestow the great greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If, the, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Here's what he's saying. I'm not an eye, and I'm not this or that. Do you know you can live without an eye, but you can't live without a liver, and you can't live without a heart, and you can't live without lungs? And we never see those things. They're just churning away in, in the room down below. They're just, they're just rowing away, doing their job. Well, I wouldn't want to be lungs or a liver. Well, they're super important, those that are by. I want to be an eye. I want to be a mouth. I want to be like skin on the face that everybody sees. Transform your thinking. View it a different way. You want to write your last note. Paul teaches even though some members of the body are more prominent. That's true. More prominent in their service. We must not envy because the function of every part of the body is vital. It's all vital. Yes, that one there has one gift. And this one over here has a gift. But they have a whole cluster of these other gifts. Really strong. Don't be envious. Every, everybody in the body is important. I love sports. If I'm watching TV, seriously, at least four out of five times I'm watching TV, it's sports. If I have the choice, it's going to be sports. Can't tell you how important unified diversity. You with me? I'm almost done. Unified diversity is so important in sports. Why? Everyone working to the same, there's the unity, same goal but with differing abilities. Why? I like basketball. Guys, there's just not a lot of people with LeBron James' ability. You say, hey, LeBron James, you have to admit, the guy can pass the ball, the guy can rebound, he can defend little point guards, he can defend big, tall centers, he, he can shoot in the post, that, close to the basket, he can shoot 15 feet from the basket, he can shoot 23 feet from the basket, he is just good at a lot of things. Well, guess what? Not everybody is that varied and really good at a lot of different things. So they found this out. This guy over there is really good at shooting three-pointers. You know, if you get really good at defense, we can play you. Or this guy, he's a really good defender. You know, if you'll practice like shooting three-pointers here and here and here, because you're just not that good of an offensive player, but you'll work on your shot, you can make millions of dollars. Or you, if you'll just dig in and be our defensive stopper guy, right? And over here's the rebounder. And over here's the guy, he's a playmaker. He hardly scores any, but something about when he's on the court, everybody else scores so easily because they're a distributor. Uh, I see, uh, is Nat yeah, Natalie, I, I'm not going to embarrass Natalie, but she was a good point guard at our Christian school. She would just distribute the ball and make everybody else look good, and they have lots of numbers in the scoring line. And Natalie just kind of put it on the tee. Now, maybe even, just see, this is real easy. She made them look good, right? That was her gift. We have unified diversity at Graceview. God loves me so much that before I ever got here, he had Chris already here. And God really loves me so much that since I've been here, he's brought Brandon 
here. These guys are different than I am. If you were here during the week, you'd see how different they are from me. It is really good that they're different than me. We don't need three of me around here. I promise you we don't need... A lot would go undone if we had three Jeff Bartlett's. I'll just shoot straight with you. They have more clusters wider in more areas than I do. They do. I had no idea. Brandon, Brandon like, this is perfect. It's like, I didn't even know he does that. I mean, that's his passion. He just, off he goes. Hey, let me run this idea by I've been doing this and this and this. Well, I'm really glad you're doing it because I'm just, that's not my thing. And Chris is the exact same way. They're more like each other than they are like me, but they're not like each other either. They just do a hundred things, and I'm doing about four. For real. Unified diversity. But boy, they sure do complement everything that's going on here. It's the same with Renee. Renee, Mike. I was watching Mike the other day. I'm literally on this section. I'm looking out my window, and Mike is walking, doing an act of service that I'm telling you, I would butch it up, and I would be going about like this fast, butchering it, and he just does this fast, and it's just perfect. It's his hands and feet and his eyes just go together and like, all right, Lord, I get it again, right? I don't have that. My goal this week and next is simple. I want everybody at Graceview to know their spiritual gift. I hope everybody at Graceview accepts their spiritual gift and I hope everybody here's next week's sermon will use their spiritual gift. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed.